Dear Lord, right now I just pray as we come to this time to look into your word, God, that you will just speak to us. God, seek and we will find you. And God, right now I just pray that in this room there is somebody who is seeking you, God. And Lord, right now I just pray that they can find you. Lord, I don't know what the situation is. Lord, already today we've had people come up who are just seeking you for help with them and their children, Lord. Right now we just pray that if there's somebody in here, Lord, where they're just trying to find you out for a family circumstance, God, that you will just show up in their lives. God, right now, I just pray that if there's somebody in here who, Lord, everything is just confusing right now to them, Lord, everything is in disarray, God, that they can realize that you are their Lord to bring hope to them. You're their Lord to bring life to them, Lord. You're there to bring purpose, God. Lord, help us to realize, Lord, that in every struggle that we're in, God, you are the ultimate answer, Lord, because we have one ultimate problem, and it's sin, Lord, and you paid the price for that on the cross. So, Lord, right now, I just pray as we come to this time to kind of wrap up the Advent season, Lord, that we can focus on who you are, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who was the firstborn of all creation before the foundations of the world. Lord, all of us were created through you and are held together by you, and, Lord, that is something that I do not understand, but that is a truth that I happily accept. And I thank you for all that you do. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Darren Sides, and I'm the Minister of Discipleship and Families here at Southside Baptist Church. Um, And I'm going to let you in on a little bit of my Christmas experience this Christmas season. So my sister is the redhead that sings much better than I do, um, who is just up here. And she has uh, two lovely children. And, and so my, my sister's Christmas present to me and my father that I was very excited for and I was looking forward to all Christmas season was to go and see The Force Awakens. I, I, I hear some fans in here. Do I have any self-proclaimed nerds that are in here? Yeah, wave your hand proud, yes. Not as many as I expected. Um, but that's okay. I will champion all of us up here because I am the son of a nerd. My father was the original nerd. He fell in love with Star Wars in the 70s when they first came out. I think he went a number of times to go see it in the theaters. And then he passed on that lineage to me. And I was happy, much like the Force, to find out that my sister also shares in this lineage of Star Wars. And I was even more happy to find out that her children also share in this lineage of Star Wars. And they, in fact, received lightsabers for Christmas, of which... Myself and her husband chose to play with on Christmas night. Um, And that is my history of nerdiness. And it goes beyond all of that. But I was also interested to find something else out, just in the circumstance that is Star Wars. You see, Star Wars was originally written as a trilogy. However, George Lucas struck gold because George Lucas did not create the first one as episode one. No, he did something even smarter. He created it as episode four. Why you begin a series with episode four, I do not understand. But he started it with episode four, and it was incredibly smart because then everybody wondered, well, when is one, two, and three going to come out? Of course, everybody wondered that. And so I grew up with episodes four, five, and six, and that was my first understanding of Star Wars. And then when I was in middle school going into high school, Then the prequels came out. Now, I'm not a giant fan of the prequels, but they came out, and that was all before my nieces were born. 
And so when they began their Star Wars journey, unlike myself that began with episode four, they began their Star Wars journey with episodes one, two, and three. And I never realized how much that changes your encounter with the series. You see, because for me, the major plot twist was whenever you have this scene, whenever Luke is there fighting Darth Vader, and all of a sudden he gets his hand chopped off, and then Darth is like, Luke, what does he say? See, y'all have seen Star Wars. You don't raise your hands. Y'all have seen it. Luke, I am your father, right? And that comes out. And that was like, what? You know, the bad guys, the good guys, father, what? Okay. Now, whenever my nieces, they don't begin with that, right? They begin with episode one. And so they hear the story of Anakin Skywalker. And then the major plot twist for them comes in episode three, whenever all of a sudden Anakin becomes Darth Vader, that's the, their major plot twist. In, in their Star Wars universe, and their encounter with Star Wars is completely different than mine. Now, for all of you who are not Star Wars fans, I'm going to turn this away from Star Wars because that's true in life. You see, we have different perspectives, much like how I have a different perspective on this thing called Star Wars than my nieces have. And my children, now that this new trilogy is coming out, they're going to have a completely different perspective on Star Wars than what I had. And this is true if you've ever gotten inside those family discussions, because I love holidays because it's when families come together. And if your family's anything like my family, my family comes together and we love to pick each other's brains and purposely start family fights. Does that ever happen with you? And so you find something in these family fights, and that's that different generations have different perspectives on multiple things, right? Past experiences, generational birth, and geographical location location changes our perspectives. It changes our perspectives on movies, it changes our perspectives on politics, and it changes our perspectives on events. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret. You see, I titled this message Behind the Conspiracy because I'm going to let you in on a secret. And the secret is this. It's that we have a different perspective on the Advent than what the first century Christians had on the Advent. Because much like how Star Wars begins with episode 4, those first century Christians, the Gospels weren't the first recorded accounts that were shared amongst the churches. The first recorded accounts that were shared amongst the churches were the epistles. Now, for us, we put the epistles second in our New Testament, right? Because we begin with the gospel of Jesus, the life of Jesus. But really, they had a completely different perspective on the Advent. They had a different perspective on this thing called incarnation, right? What is incarnation? It's simply how did God become flesh? They had a different perspective, See, because for us, we focus on the Gospels, and the Gospels really bring in this account of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin, and you have the shepherds, and we have all the cute things that make our little nativities outside. But that was written after, Luke's account was written after the verse that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And we're going to look at the original truths about Jesus that the church used before it ever learned about Gabriel and the wise men. And my goal is to share with you the backstory of Christianity. And what I want you to know is what happened behind the conspiracy, but ultimately I want you to know that Christmas only changes you. 
each and every one of us. Christmas only changes us if it is the story about how God became flesh. Christmas only changes us if it's the story of how God became flesh. Look at Colossians 1. I'll start in verse 15. He, who is he here? That's Christ Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Notice something. Christmas won't change you. Christmas will never change you if Christmas is just about a few refugees who went to Bethlehem and had a baby. Christmas will never change you if it's just a story about a bunch of people who went to Bethlehem and had a baby. Christmas only changes you if it's about God assuming flesh. And that's highlighted here, right? In verse 19, look at that. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. It's not just a part of God. You see, for some of us in here, we think of God, and we think of God in terms of the Trinity, right? And so oftentimes we can think of God, right? It's Christmas, so how many of y'all love pumpkin pie? Anybody? Okay, I'm a pumpkin pie nut, so I'll use pumpkin pie as our example right now. Okay, we pretend like God is a pumpkin pie, all right? And there are three slices to this pumpkin pie, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that God, that Jesus is God in that sense. So in our minds, we think, okay, well, Jesus is a piece of God. But you got to understand that's a limited view of who Jesus really is. Because that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was not just a piece of God. Jesus was God. The whole pie was Jesus. And yet somehow the whole pie is also divided. I don't get it. All right? Don't ask me to get it. I don't. I just understand it by faith. That yes, Jesus is God. But God completely is Jesus. That is what these Christians understood, right? This is before the story of Gabriel that this was written, that Paul wrote this. And right there at the very beginning, he talks in verse 19 about, for in him all of the fullness of God. It's not just a part of the fullness of God. All of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. So today we're going to look at three things. Three things, this backstory. The backstory of Jesus tells us about Christmas and tells us about our lives. So three things. Number one, he holds everything perfectly. He being Jesus, Jesus holds everything perfectly. Number two, he brings peace personally. Jesus brings peace personally. And number three, he changes you eternally. Because there are three points. I'm a good son of a Baptist, so that's what I do. Um, number one, he holds everything perfectly. This is seen through this entire first part. And if you're not here on Christmas Eve, I thought Gary did a great job of explaining the sermon. Because too, much, too many times in our life, we look at life and we 
think, how is God holding everything perfectly? And if you didn't come Christmas Eve, I invite you. I know we recorded the sermon. Please watch it because it's great. But the entire Christmas story is about how God had everything perfectly, and he held everything perfectly for the fullness of time to come. It was in God's plan for it to happen, but if you think about the Christmas sermon and the Christmas Eve sermon and and the Christmas story, that whole situation wasn't perfect, right? I've never tried to move a nine-month pregnant wife on like a horse or a donkey, but I can imagine that's not a good situation and that many things will go wrong in that situation, okay? I've never tried that. That's not perfect in our ideal state. Right? When you look at the Christmas story, all of a sudden, here's this birth that's about to happen, and it's happening in a barn. It's not ideal. When you look at the Christmas story, at the Christmas story, all of a sudden, at the very end, you have the ruler who's just going to go kill all the babies. Right? Not ideal. But the point of the Christmas story is that even when things are not ideal, even when things are less than ideal, God is still firmly in control. And the thing that Colossians is highlighting to us, in particular Colossians 1, 15 through 17, is that all of nature, all of heaven, all of existence is held perfectly by Jesus. Starts in 15. He is the image of the invisible God. There's a separation there between us as humans and Jesus. Notice it didn't say, it doesn't start with this idea of creation right there at the beginning, right? Because we, we are created in the image of God. It doesn't say that about Jesus. It says he is the image of the invisible God. He's completely different from us. That's talking about his nature. Jesus in his nature is the image of God. Then it starts talking about creation. He's the firstborn of all creation, What does that mean? Well, since it's secondary, since it's the second idea that's listed there, you've got to understand the culture. The culture is this idea that if you're the firstborn, you own everything. Everything is yours. So what is this talking about? It's talking about how all of creation, in terms of position, is Jesus's. He, He has it all. Why? Because by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible Now, this is when it starts getting trippy. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and everything that he might be preeminent. I said it got trippy right there, because if you look at verse 6, 16, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, it communicates this idea that he is king of kings and lord of lords. The visible and invisible dominions, when you start thinking of that, it's talking about the spiritual idea. He's the head of all spiritual aspects. Rulers and authorities, the physical idea. He's the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. But then right there, he is before all things and all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. And it's this idea that we wouldn't exist if Jesus didn't exist. He holds us together. See, I don't know if you have any of those friends who act like the whole world revolves around them. 
I I just may be the only one who has friends like that, but you may have friends that think the whole world revolves around them, but you realize, you know, without them, maybe a job or maybe, you know, just in life, you know, life really would go on without them. Understand that life would stop without Jesus. The Christmas story has to be about God assuming flesh because it's about how the one who created everything can fix everything. And if the Christmas story is not about God, 100% God assuming flesh, then we have zero hope because he holds everything perfectly. But he doesn't just hold everything perfectly. The second thing that's key for us to also understand is that he brings peace personally. He brings peace personally to us. Look at verse 19 and 20. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here's a probing question. You know, we talk about he brings peace personally. Probing question. Why did the angels proclaim peace on earth? Because it wasn't very peaceful. Even in the Christmas story, it wasn't very peaceful. Right? Because immediately after Jesus' birth, all of a sudden you get this ruler who goes and kills everybody. That's not very peaceful. So why then do the angels proclaim peace on earth? See, if I assume that we have peace in the manger, I do not understand why wars still occur in life. If I think that all of a sudden Jesus is showing up, right, and Jesus is here, and that in and of itself in the manger is what brings peace, then I don't understand why does bad stuff still happen in this world. Because clearly peace couldn't have just came by the manger. It had to come some other way. Peace was brought, but it was brought through the cross, not through the manger. And this is where I love, you don't have to go there, I'm going to just read it. It's Philippians 2. Interesting, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11 is one of the original songs written in the early church is one of the ideas. I'll read it to you. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. I love that word. It's, it's a word that means like seized, kind of like if you have this image of like pirates and pirates go and seize booty, okay? They go and seize all this coin, okay? That's the idea. Jesus didn't want to just seize all of this thing that was Godness. Instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. He emptied himself. You see, usually when we think of Jesus emptying himself, we think of him emptying himself on the cross. But in Philippians, it's not that Jesus emptied himself on the cross. Jesus emptied himself when he took on the form of a servant. He gave up something that was godness to become something that was us. And he became a hundred percent man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was obedient to the cross. He emptied himself when he gave up heaven to come to earth. Jesus emptied himself in the manger, but he only gives peace on the cross. If I assume that he emptied himself on the cross, I do not understand why Je- who Jesus truly was. He could have become God in any number of ways as long as he was God on the cross. 
And this is something that I really think is, that needs to be stressed because people don't understand it. See, Jesus was God before time began, before the foundations of the world. And he emptied himself when he became a person. And by doing so, he was still God from the beginning. He didn't become God along the ways. And there are many different heresies that pop up that say, okay, well, Jesus just became God. And then they go back and they cite when he got baptized. And they say, okay, well, here God says, this is my son. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends. And clearly that's when Jesus became God. No, that's not when Jesus became God. Jesus was God. He became human. And this was an early form of heresy that we still find today. It was something called Arianism in the 300 ADs. And in Arianism, it was this idea that Jesus was just a created being, a highly superior created being. And all of a sudden, he became a god. And when he became a god, then he died for us. And thus, God died for us. But they missed it. He didn't become a God ever. He just was God. And that lie is still spread throughout many different religions and many different ideas. When we still get this idea that Jesus Christ was just a great teacher. Jesus Christ was just a great prophet. Maybe even that Jesus Christ could have been an angel. But the fact of Colossians is that it said, In him all things invisible and visible were created through him. Meaning that Jesus Christ created even the angels. Jesus Christ was God to begin with. And it's only when Jesus Christ is God to begin with that he understands exactly what we need. Because it's only by him being God that he understands that we shamed him when we sin. It's only when Jesus is God do, does he understand exactly what he's giving his life up for. Because he knows exactly how destitute and how deprived we really are. It was because he was God that Jesus understood his main goal was not to bring peace simply on this earth with earthly kingdoms. His goal was to bring peace with God in his heavenly kingdom. Jesus' goal was never to bring peace on earth alone. Jesus' goal was to bring peace with God, and by bringing peace with God, peace would be on earth. His goal from the very beginning was the cross, and through that we then have peace. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace was always found in the cross, and it was always planned to be on the cross. Jesus coming in the manger was God himself giving us a way to have peace. He gave the conditions and paid our war debt. He is just waiting for you to personally accept. This is only possible if Christmas is about God assuming flesh. Only if God assumed flesh is our war debt truly paid for. Our war caused by our own sin. So he holds everything perfectly. He brings peace personally And lastly, he changes you eternally. He changes you eternally. In everything, God should have supremacy. And when God shows up, things should be different. And here's the example for that. All right. If you're going down the road and you're in a big car or you see a big truck, 
See, I used to drive this little two-door Ford Escort death trap, okay? And I used to drive this little death trap around all of Jacksonville. And I would always be really mindful whenever I started to drive next to these giant 18-wheelers. Because I knew a truth, and it was the laws of physics. And it's that if that 18-wheeler came crashing into me, I would do very little damage to that 18-wheeler. But that 18-wheeler would completely wreck me. When a gigantic, impressive force comes onto a really small object, crazy things happen. You understand this when you're in a pool in the summer. You see, I was poor in Texas, and we had to go to the Y to experience the pool in the scorching hot sun of Texas. Unfortunately, everybody and their brother wanted to also go to the Y to experience the pool in the scorching hot sun. And then all of a sudden, you have that one gigantic big kid. You know the one, right? You're like, I'm happy, I'm chilling, the water's calm, it's nice. Oh no, this big kid, he comes up to the edge of the pool. Right? And these little small water molecules, they don't stand a chance. Because what does he do? He bends down and he jumps up. And all of a sudden, that water molecules go everywhere. And they splash all over me. Because these small things cannot stand in the way of this big force. But we act like all of a sudden, we can just accept and reject Jesus just at whim. Oh, I can just accept God if I want to. And I can just reject him whenever I want to. And it's not going to make a bit of difference in my life. Either God is so little at that point that we really don't accept him, or we just don't understand how big God really is. When God comes into your life, something should look different. The Christmas story is all about how God showed up and things just started to look differently. And so look into your own life. When God showed up in your own life, when you became a quote-unquote Christian, did something change? Because if nothing changed, then maybe you need to reevaluate that beginning point in the beginning. Maybe something didn't start when you actually thought it did. Because something should change when God appears. Every time God appears in the Bible, something crazy happens. I think it's no coincidence that before Jesus appears as a baby in a manger, every other time that God appears, it's like a fire is how it describes it. Something fiery, something on flame, something crazy is going on when God appears. And then God appears just as a baby. And so we assume that every time we see God, all of a sudden it's just going to be this cute little 16-ounce, you know, little baby. 16 out. Look, I haven't had a baby yet. I don't know how big babies are. I just make up numbers. It lets me know you're listening, though, okay? <laughs> but we just assume that all of a sudden God is some small creature. He's not. God is an immassively big being who changes and wrecks our lives. And it's how I know that we've missed the Christmas story. Because when we think of Christmas, we don't think of God like that. We think of coziness, right? We sing songs about Christmas like chestnuts roasting on an open fire and Jack Frost is just nipping at your nose, right? When's the last time you've ever roasted chestnuts on an open fire, right? And I, I love Floridians at Christmas because it's the only time we ever complain about it not being cold, 
All of a sudden we're like, it's 70 degrees on Christmas. This isn't Christmas. I can't have my fire and I can't have Jack Frost nipping at my nose. But then when January and February comes, we get angry and we're like, why is Jack Frost nipping at our nose? Because we want it to be cozy at Christmas. And that's our idea of what Christmas really is, is just this coziness. That's not what the Christmas story is about. Nowhere in that story is this idea of coziness. It's a massively pregnant woman who travels to give birth to a person in a manger. It's about God giving up everything in heaven to take on a manger. That's him giving up everything. That's him taking excrement instead of having goose down pillows, right? That's God giving up everything to take on this. Emptying himself, taking on a human form. Here's questions. You want to bring peace between people and God. Between people and people. This is how you do it. You get emotionally involved and brought into fellowships and sufferings with Jesus Christ. If you want to bring peace, you got to bring peace like how Jesus brought peace. By bringing Jesus along with you. And you got to get between people and God. You got to get between people and people And you got to get emotionally involved to help people understand what it means. If you've talked to deacons who've really lived it out, who've really lived out being a deacon, then they can share you story after story about how they showed up in the middle of the night or how they did something and they didn't even understand why they were doing it. They just felt like they had to do it. Because they were getting emotionally invested in others. You want to figure out how to have a very impactful small group. All of a sudden, you just start getting emotionally invested in people in that small group. And all of a sudden, you'll start to do this thing called caring for people. I know that's crazy. This is a crazy idea that we're called to love each other. But when you get emotionally invested with people, you start to care for their needs and for who they are and for their family members. And then a prayer request isn't something that you have to be reminded to do. All of a sudden, it's something because, man, I really care for that person. And maybe I'm just going to start praying for him because I care for him. And I can't do anything to save him, but God, you can do something to save him. So get emotionally invested in people. Because when Jesus shows up, he changes us eternally. Has he changed you? A Christian who understands what Jesus did doesn't expect to have money, doesn't expect to have fame, doesn't expect to have niceties. It doesn't mean you won't have them. It just means don't expect to have them. The fact is there may be somebody in here and you're struggling with this fact that you're still single. And you're still single. And maybe if you didn't follow the faith, you may have been married by now. Don't give up. Maybe you're sitting in here and you're, just, you're not in the place you thought you would be at your job. And if you would have compromised on your faith and you would have compromised on your morals, then you may be somewhere else than where you are. Don't give up because you understand there's some higher calling in your life that goes beyond this eternal or this Physical reality, and it's eternal. The manger means out. It means being lost. It means being in pain. But what we get is far greater. And I love the way Second Peter highlights this. Look at Second Peter chapter 1. 
It'll be up on the screen, but I'm going to read a little bit further. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3. I'm going to go ahead and read through 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that, so that through them you may become partakers of a divine nature. You see, we're not going to get something on this life. Instead, we're going to get something better. We all of a sudden become partakers of something that we were never a part of, and that is the divine nature of God. Somehow through Jesus Christ, and this is only if in the manger all of a sudden God shows up and it's God in flesh. Through Jesus Christ, we get to take part in something that is divine. And that's far greater than a job promotion. That's far greater than maybe some relationship that'll fail. That's far greater than anything that can happen on this earth. It's the divine nature that we get to take part in with God. That through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Christ Jesus. Jesus should show up in our lives and it should look different. And how it looks different is we're continuing to strive towards this idea of love. That's the summary idea of the entire Advent conspiracy. Love all. And I want to give you a little secret here. Although we'll do the Advent conspiracy next year, you can get excited for that. I'll let you know that we're still living in an Advent conspiracy. Okay? Because we're no longer living in this Advent waiting for Jesus Christ to come. Now we get to live in the second Advent, which is waiting for Jesus Christ to come again. So now we get to have this Advent conspiracy all year long. Y'all sound very excited by that. Yay! We get to live in the Advent conspiracy for all of time because when Jesus showed up, everything changes. Here's two applications. Number one, maybe you're here and you're questioning God. He was always a novelty for you at Christmas and Easter. He's always that cute little baby that you pick up and you put in your little nativity set. He's always that thing that draws you to church whenever the doors are open on Christmas Eve. He's always that thing that draws you into a church on Easter. May I invite you to start a real relationship with you. Let him start a real relationship with you today. It's the first statement, the first application. The second application is much deeper. I want to invite you to really take heart of that last point. He should change you eternally. This Christian life should be a risk and an adventure. He will not always be nice. It will not always be easy, but it will always be fulfilling. You and I are called to be the lights of the world. Jesus was the light of the world that came down, but we are called to be the lights of the world. The Christmas story is a story of adventure. I began with Star Wars, and I'll end with Star Wars. So, at Star Wars, it just is a story of archetypes. 
the archetypal adventure. You give up something you know and something you have to go on a quest for something greater. Jesus gave up everything he had. He gave up what it was to be with God always and fully, and he emptied himself and he took on the form, the human form. He took great risk, he took great sacrifice, he took great challenge to do it, but he did it for a greater cause, and that was to restore his creation, so that way we could have a way to go back to God. That's a story of adventure and a story of fulfillment. And the question is, are you partaking in that story of adventure currently? Are you taking the adventure and the risk with Jesus? I think it's interesting, and I said this when we were doing crazy love, but it's just something that stuck with me. All right, so I'll take you there. Okay, Jesus is risen, he's there, he's standing before his disciples, and then Jesus all of a sudden is going to go up into heaven. And Jesus goes up into heaven, and he says he has to go up into heaven. Why does Jesus have to go up into heaven? Anybody remember? Yeah, Holy Spirit could come. Crazy, crazy idea, right? Something had to come because it was better for Jesus to go away and for the Holy Spirit to come than for Jesus to just stay here. I don't get why, but I think I kind of do. Because when Jesus left, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit could come, so then thus I could become like Jesus. And Thad Gilder could become like Jesus, right? Melissa McCall could become like Jesus, We can all become like Jesus. So then it's not one Jesus walking around the world. Then it's hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of Jesuses walking around the world. And can you imagine what a billion Jesuses walking around the world would make the world look like? Is that what it looks like currently? Why not? I mean, that's the real Advent conspiracy, is that we're supposed to make the world look like Jesus because we are a congregation of people who look like Jesus. So are we? And I'm not going to ask you to start pointing fingers at the people around you. I'm going to ask you to point the finger at yourself. Are you looking like Jesus? Are you emptying yourself? Are you humbling yourself? Are you putting others' needs ahead of yours? Are you loving others? Are you spending less Are you giving more? Where are you? Because the Advent conspiracy didn't end on Christmas. It continues up until he comes. We just need a yearly reminder of it. Where are you? We're going to take part of this next song. And as we sing this song, I ask you to sing it. If you're here and you need to start a relationship with God, then I ask you to come forward. I'm happy to talk to you. We have others who are up here who'd be happy to talk with you to tell you how you can start that relationship because it is a relationship. It's not something that, you know, you do it once and it's all over. He's a a gigantic force that's going to completely change your life. And if you want to start that today, it's the greatest and most fulfilling thing that you can do. So come forward and we'll talk to you about that. However, as we get to this song, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to sing this out like you will when you're in heaven. I want to challenge you to live it out. I want to challenge you to be like Jesus. Because that's what we are, little Christ. Let's pray. God, right now I just pray for anybody in here 
Lord, who needs to start a relationship with you, God, that they will just come and they will find you. Lord, you're never far away. You're always just a conversation. You're always just a prayer. You're always just a thought away. Lord, right now I just pray for a Christian in here, Lord, who (coughs) maybe they're running away from you, God. They're running away from you because they feel like they have to because they've sinned. Lord, let them realize that you already paid the debt for that sin. God, we don't have to run away from you, God. We can approach you boldly because you already paid the debt. God, you just want us completely. So help that Christian who feels like they're running to come back to you because you're just waiting with open arms. In Christ, I have no condemnation. God, right now, I just pray for the Christian in here who feels burdened. They've been investing emotionally in people for so long. God, I pray you can restore their fire. Help them to continue to grow in you. God, let the fire never burn out in them. God, I pray for all of us because we're called to this great adventure. Lord, let us live it completely. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.